Big Deal Podcast. Moi! Uh-huh. Moi! Typically, I post uh, several uh, podcast episodes during October from old radio shows that I found. I didn't get around to that. I didn't get around to any horror stories. Didn't get around to much of anything. This retirement, retirement is busy. Uh, but so for today's show, I do finally have the section of the interview I did last year with Sam Sam Park where we we get around to finally talking about horror movies and and books and stuff like that so I'll be back after you listen to it hope you enjoy it well let's talk horror what have okay. you read lately or seen or, uh, or kind of you know sticks with you what sticks yeah. with you? actually I just finished reading Dracula uh, Stoker's Dracula. Yeah, yeah. I, I had never actually, I had actually never read it. I thought I had, but I hadn't. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It took me a while to read it. It's right. Well, you yeah. know, Dracula doesn't show up for three quarters of the book. Yeah, he, yeah. He, but you know, the presence of Dracula is all through the book. Though. Yeah, you know, I was reading. I said, I'm tired of reading. You know, the mail back and forth between Mina and Lucy you know about getting married you know right. right but yeah it picked up uh you know the language is a little when you go back to those books the language sometimes gets a little right, right. but uh yeah i really liked it uh right now i'm reading uh, uh one of the year's best horror anthologies i don't remember which one it was i just downloaded i tend to most of my reading nowadays is uh, short stories uh-huh. a lot because, you know, I'm one of those that if I'm reading a book, I'm liable to stay up till three or four in the morning. Oh, sure. Sure. You know, and then yeah. I got to work in the morning, you know, yeah. so I, I, I tend to read more short stories, but I'm getting ready to read uh, Let the Right One In. Well, I've never read the book, so yeah. I've seen both movies. Yeah, that's that. we just just rewatched both of the movies. Uh, and I enjoyed my, my young my enjoyed youngest daughter that. hadn't hadn't seen them, so I, my youngest daughter. Oh, uh, and they're staying with us right now. So we've been watching a lot of horror this month, and I made her watch both of them because I said they're both really good, and they're, and they're both, both different. Yeah. You know they're familiar, but they're different. Yeah. And uh, I had posted something about that, and uh, Nick Arnold had chimed in and said that the book was really good. So I, I downloaded it. I haven't started it yet, but I'm going to read it. Uh, well, I'm with you on uh, now. I've read a lot of books the last couple of years. I, that was another reason for get stuff away from everything. And but I and read a lot of Stephen King. But uh, 
the anthology books and the short stories are really fun to, to read because yeah. like you said, you can, you can get through it. And then I think <laughs> kind of think about it a little bit before yeah. you come back to the next story and all that kind of stuff. And I like yeah. that. And uh, a short story is a different beast than a novel, you know, yeah. and King, thank God King is so successful that he can still do talk, uh, short stories uh because even if there's not really a market for it anymore yeah you say that as in we don't have colliers saturday saturday evening post and other books like yeah. used to have and where everything was you know, uh, like that yeah uh so uh i really really enjoy and then knowing certain writers and how they develop their craft through the uh, short story. I really love that. I'm looking over at, I've got a collection of uh, Elmore Leonard's uh, Western, a complete collection of his sh short stories. Yeah. Western stuff. I love that book, you know, and all that. Uh, I've been, geez, Elmore Leonard, I read a lot of Western stuff. Uh, I read, I also made myself read a lot of classic uh, material uh, and character and by writers and people that I just barely knew of just to do it. A lot of women too. Yeah. Um, to get takes on things during this period. Um, and right now I was stunned by how much I liked The Big Short. Uh, I didn't think, you know, here's a book about you know, Wall Street and relations yeah. and things. And I, they made the movie, it won Academy Award and all that. But I never saw it. And the book came my way and I said, well, okay, I'm going to read this. And I really enjoyed the writer. You know, it was yeah. like, oh, this is, and, and, the, and the people. And then I started his uh, Flash Boys right about the time that I moved and re-entered society so i haven't finished it yet but i should finish that and it really takes some complex stuff and breaks it down and you can learn it a little more the scariest thing about the big short if we're talking horror here yeah <laughs> is how in this world where the brightest people in the world are hired to work in financial markets okay that seems where everybody's going. If you're in government, you get out and get in financial markets and things like this. How this, the selling of risk was made into a business and people knew it was a shady thing, but it was selling and they were selling it and not understanding it. And that story about, about how people didn't understand what they were yeah. selling, but selling it like crazy and all this stuff. And then the government ends up paying for a few guys. And it was just a few guys. Uh, and I, I can't even say there were villains in the sense that, ah, let's, let's do this, you know? Yeah. And, you know, and twirl their mustache. They, they just kind of got into it because it was a reaction to the way markets and things were selling. And now they've got this way of 
you know, uh, of doing stuff, junk bonds before mm -hmm. that, you know, and all these things. Um, um, and so the, the Flash Boys is a story about with our internet and things and the transferring of information and the fact that we have computers that make buy and sell commands now. And the Flash Boys, somebody figured out that if they put a, a line through parts of these mountains and air and areas and stuff, they can have a connection to a buyer seller. And with computers coming more and more in the 90s and all this kind of stuff, it would they could get their information faster over this line. And that can make the difference in a lot of money selling or buying with the uh, computer aiding you. And so I just, you know, I'm just getting into that, but it's like, this guy's such a good writer uh, that it's like, and it's true. That's what kills me is, is the horrors of that live in our world, just yeah. right, right here that could end up financial ruin for home mortgages and things because of bad credit being sold off. And then here, somebody gaming the system not meaning to game the system just figuring out oh this is faster i'll put yeah. this in and they'll they'll pay me for it you know and then these guys oh now that we have this technology you know so we got to figure out that horror story yeah <laughs> okay going back to watching uh savad and early on what what's the earliest horror movie that you remember watching and sticking with you? All right. My grandmother, my mother's mother, lived in what's called Lost Cane, Arkansas. We lived in Hornersville before we moved to Portageville, before we moved to Malden, just to let you know. And that's all there in the booth. Yeah. Okay. Uh Hornersville is right on the Missouri-Arkansas line there. Yeah. Okay. And my grandmother lived over in Lost Cane. So my when I lived in Malden, it was only about an hour to drive over there. And that was on the back roads, okay? You know, just those farm roads, uh -huh. back roads through most of it. So as a small child, when I was born, I was the first of three children, um, uh, my mother would, you know, I'd, my grandmother came over on Sunday night and would stay till Friday and take care of me, and then me and my sister two years later. And then, my, you know, my, my brother came along about the time we moved to Portageville. So she was always there in our life and all that. So I was over in, at her house on this farm road and she could get more stations than we could in Portageville, we could only get two stations, Channel 12, KFVS, KFVS, and Channel 6, Paducah. So we couldn't get Memphis unless you had a special antenna or something like that. You can move your antenna, yeah. little machine or something. So at grandmother's house, you could get all, all the Memphis stations and the uh, Jonesboro. Like that ended up being like five stations, I think. 
So here I am, four years old, my, my grandmother's house, and there's her TV. Think, you know, this is 59 or something like that. My grandmother has pulled a chair out in the middle of the room where she would sit and watch the TV with me directly in front of her and then the, the TV. And somehow switching around, I knew you switched the channel around. They were big channels too, especially the little hands. Um, uh, I, I, I turned on Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. <laughs> and it was where... Uh, Lou, Lou Costello, and Lon Chaney are talking. And Lon Chaney looked so serious to me, which he was always great in every mm. movie playing that character. That's why we love him so much. And he's giving him a key and he tells him to lock me in and don't let me out. I'm like, I don't know what, but to a little kid, this is really, huh? Mm -hmm. And he looks serious and, and all that. And, and then Lou was funny, you know, he was portly and, 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 yeah. and you know, and had that gleam that, 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 that Costello exuded. So I watched the movie and then, you know, it goes through the sequence to the door and he, uh, Costello takes an orange or apple, or I think it was an orange and uh, goes out and locks the door. And then the Wolfman, he changes. Yeah. Lanchini changes. Good God. You know, four years old, I had no idea what <laughs> this movie here. I mean, it wasn't what I had seen in TV yeah. and cartoons and stuff at the time <laughs> and Popeye and all that kind of stuff. I mean, yeah. I understood a story. Yeah. And, and that, you know, Popeye would be out and then Brutus would grab him olive oil or something and you know and so i understood little things but th this captured me and uh and then La uh costello going back to the door looking at the orange like oh, i stole it like he's gonna <laughs> open the door up and i was terrified and get this my grandmother's sitting behind me in a, a chair she sat i am inching on the the floor with my buttocks left right left right back to my grandmother i get to her knees now i was halfway between her and the tv yeah in this farmhouse front room on the floor and then i went from her knees to the side of the chair <laughs> then i went behind the chair but I'm looking like this around her chair because I can't not look yeah. at what I got to find out what's going to happen here. My grandmother <laughs> looks back at me and looks down and uh, she starts laughing. And she goes, I don't think, I don't think you should be watching this. You know, and I looked up my grandmother and I told her, no, it's okay, but don't go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was the, the thing that got me as a kid. Yeah. 
And, uh, and if, by the way, you can go online and Quentin Tarantino talks about the first time and that it was Abbott Costello and Franklin that grabbed him again. And let me yeah. add a little addendum to that. And that is, I have watched Abbott Costello meet Frankenstein in at various venues about Los Angeles since I moved out here in the 80s. I've seen it at the small little uh, silent movie theater on Fairfax. I've seen it at Grauman's Chinese Theater. Mm -hmm. They showed it 25 cents because they were celebrating their anniversary and that they used to sell do films. And I've seen it here and there at conventions and this and that. And that film with an audience watching the movie. Uh, I, I'm amazed, I, I go to enjoy it, but I'm always amazed and I love it that the audience from the get-go, first from right off, are into it. And that 19, was it 49 film, 40, 48, 49 film, I think it's 49, it's the last, let's experience still works with its jokes. Yeah. And the horror and these things. And uh, Tarantino talks about how the it's a horror movie and a, a, a comedy movie. And it's just together because they were asking him about you mix things up. And he goes back to all the first, you know, one of the first things I can ever remember seeing, blah, 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 you know, selling me Frankenstein. And I guess that's what, you know, yeah. what it is that makes me do that. And I thought it was an interesting way, thread that he had, but I'm then again, I've seen the people in all situations. And I mean, these are people that bring their grandchildren, mm -hmm. uh, their kids, their uh, college kids, adults, older people. Like, God, I can't believe we're saying, oh, we're older now. Yeah. <laughs> but us old senior guys and stuff. And I've seen it since 85 so i was a younger guy and then on up it has always always delivered and people get it i mean the lines um the the <laughs> avid watching the woman dote over costello and he's falling and something oh did you hurt your head you know blah, 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 you're okay and he just goes I don't get it. And she looks up and says, and you never will. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, and Lon Chaney just seriously delivering that, you know, tonight, the moon will be full. I'll turn into a wolf, you know, and, the, and uh, Costello going, you and 47 other American, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody laughs. I mean, it really is works and it also and it makes me happy that audiences even today that are grown up with these in these these computers and these phones watching their tv by themselves and all that kind of stuff if you still get them in front of a movie like that it'll just knock them out for all the right right things you know yeah and i love that you know, I love that that was the first movie that I can, the horror movie I can remember. Yeah. Well, that's pretty yeah. young. 
to remember that. My mine's a lot later than that. Really? I was, yeah. I don't remember. I don't remember watching much growing up. Uh, well, we didn't have much. We didn't we? have much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, channel twelve. Channel twelve was so dominated and so cheap that if they ever showed a movie, it was so like just like bottom of the barrel something. And channel six was the only thing that showed some movies. I remember some Hammer stuff that was on at the time and some. Col- columbia but you know it, you know it just wasn't much on the tv yeah. you know well, my first one was and i don't remember what grade i was in but went to a sleepover with a, a guy named gary pogue his dad was the junior high principal for a few years not very long uh-huh. and uh we watched the tingler with Vincent Price. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And that movie scared the crap out of me at the time. <laughs> it, is. it is a scary movie, and that yeah. creature. Yeah. You had to scream to get rid of it, you know. Yeah. And it didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's that's the one that sticks with me. Now, if I had my my youngest daughter on, who's getting close to forty, uh, she got to see. Uh, chud are part of chud when she was i think two you know i was uh-huh. watching it on tv and she wandered in i got in a lot of trouble for letting my my baby girl watch chud <laughs> she and then her sister played on it and told her that chud was going to get her in the shower so it was years before she had closed the shower curtain you know when she did uh-huh. the shower <laughs> But you know what? I remember a famous monsters article uh, by a psychiatrist. Probably go online and find it. Uh, And he said that horror films were good for kids because they allowed releases Mm -hmm. of other things that are pent up in you and all that and that that release was good and all that and i always remember that as because i used to show it to my mom yeah (laughs) now psychiatrist saying this you know yeah (coughs) yeah. did you get in trouble for uh i i got when i was first getting into horror i bought they used to uh reprint famous monsters into uh paperbacks uh-huh we print everything in paperbacks you know uh mad magazine you know it was a great mm-hmm. way of getting old stuff so i had son of son of famous monsters i think was the name of the book and uh but it you know my mother went through all my stuff you know yeah. she knew what i was she was you know finding out what i was see or something and uh there was a, uh, I think 13 ghosts were the uh Lion Teamer gets his head chopped off by the lion. Mm-hmm. And they had a man that was in a Lion Tamer suit, that, you know, with the built up shoulders. They could show that. But this picture showed the, showed the lion in the picture. They're just, you know, they're a lion, you know. And then it showed the guy kind of falling back the Lion Tamer with his uniform on. And you could really see like a chopped up throat you know yeah. it's in there not not real graphic it was just more textury you know it didn't yeah. really feel like bone and this and all these things but it was just uh, you know 
And so my mom was like, you know, giving me some crap about that. And I, I love what she did. I didn't love it at the time, but I love it now telling the story. And that is, um, she said, you know, you're buying on these, these horror books. I, I don't think your dad would be very, uh, very happy with that, you know. <laughs> your mom, my mom, sliding that in. Yeah. So here's what I did. I hid all those books under blankets in my uh, <laughs> uh, closet there in my brother's chair room. And that's where I, I went, went to go get them, to read them. Yeah. Thinking I don't want my dad to find them and yeah. get mad at me and make me do it. My mother wasn't going to make me do it. Yeah. You know, but my, you know, the threat of my dad, you know, oh, the, finding this outrageous. But here's what happened. A few, a few years later, I mean, it was like three or four years later, I'm sitting there and I got all that stuff drug out going through it again. Yeah. So we lived in a world where you, you had to go back and reread your look and all that kind of stuff. So I had it all out right there on the floor. And my dad comes in. To the room to look you know to, not really to talk to me to check on something he comes right over where i'm at i forgot what he was doing but i'm sitting there and i'm thinking oh my god he's gonna see all my stuff I'm you know and the monsters you know there's stuff and do, do i act cool and or do i try to cover it up or you know all that's running through your races are your your heart is racing and all that he just comes up and then he looks down and he sees the books and he goes and he says what are you reading i said oh my monster books and stuff you know this the stuff and i kind of held up something to make sure he saw it was a monster book and all that because i was thinking to myself maybe he's not gonna you know freak out i don't know but if i act like it like it oh i gotta hide this better to do this and he looked and he goes Eh, you and your monster stuff. And he just went on. Yeah. Like that. I, went, I went to myself. I went. I right at that moment, I thought, my mom bamboozled me. Yeah. And immediately I put the stuff out on the shelves for my book stuff and had my monster stuff from there out. You know, because I had the Aurora monster models. Yeah. See by that time. So yeah, you and your monster stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny uh yeah now reading horror aside from horror comics which i always loved i didn't actually start reading horror novels until shoot i was out of college uh well, pet, pet cemetery like I mean, pet cemetery I by stephen king was the first horror novel that i ever read and that is a freaking I think yeah. that's one of his works. <laughs> he seems to think it's one of his darkest, and his wife Tabitha thinks so too. Yeah. You know, I reread Pet Cemetery recently. Uh and and I'm with you on the reading. I was, you know, we, we had stuff we had to read in school. And I was into comics, so I read all kinds of comic stuff. But I pretty well after. I guess it was after junior high i quit reading i'd read all the classic horror novels invisible yeah. man 
Dr. Jekyll, Mr. High, whatever. Uh, and I didn't really, I read comics voraciously. I watched movies if I could, or TV shows or stuff like that. Uh, but then it was in college that I began to return to yeah. stuff. And uh, my old girlfriend uh, liked to, uh, Catherine Shoemate, liked to read Stephen King. And she read uh, Carrie and liked it. And then she was reading uh, uh, Salem's Lot. And I remember she gave me Salem's Lot. This would have been about, I'd worked at Naranda Aluminum for two and a half years, took off from college. So, went back in 79, or was it, yeah, 70, maybe 78. And I, uh, she gave me the book. I'm reading Salem's Lot in a trailer in Cape Girada that I'm sharing with Keith Lamar. Keith's at one end, I'm at the other. There's a kitchen and the bathroom, a living room, kitchen, bathroom, in Keith's, Keith's bedroom, and I'm at the apartment. So I'm reading Stephen King, and I'm like blazing through the book, and suddenly I realize <laughs> it's like three in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> and I got to go to the bathroom. So I put the book down. God, I can't believe it's three o'clock. Go out. And Keith is not there in the trailer that night. And the wind's blowing. I remember that. And stuff. And suddenly that, you know, in a trailer house, mm -hmm. the settling and in the dark, walking across, which I'd walked across hundreds of times before in the dark to go to the bathroom. Suddenly I get to the kitchen there and the bathroom and I'm alone in that house and I've been reading Salem's Lot and I swear to God this is a true story <laughs> I stop and that bathroom is black and the hallway has does not have a light a light's out I reach over into where I know this closet is at and I pull a, a broom out. Now, this isn't one of those 70s thick ha handle brooms. It's more of the cheaper variety. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, I get that out and I poke it into the darkness before the, the bathroom. I, I can admit to this. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and then into the bathroom, I poke. Yeah. And I go into the bathroom and I flip on the light there, but the light's not, it's out. We're, we're college guys and not paying for light bulbs yeah. and stuff. <laughs> so I'm like, gosh, dog. So I proceed to pee, which I knew how to, I could do, but I had that broom in my hand like that. While this is going on, Keith has returned <laughs> and opened up the door and came in and 
he saw that I was in the, you know, going to the bathroom there like that, but he didn't make much of it. He's coming in and out the door there. Like me, I've been in. So he comes, he comes up to the bathroom and he goes, it's dark and he goes, Sam? <laughs> and Keith was a little drunk at the time. And I just freaking, oh my God, I'm, I, I, I'm trying to pee and jab this, this, <laughs> this back like this, the dark. I don't hit Keith. I hit the wall and break the broom. Well. <laughs> and then he, oh, what, what are you doing? And I go, oh, Keith. <laughs> uh, I'm just using the bathroom, you know. He goes, yeah, okay. You couldn't really see what I was doing. And then he goes on to his room. And I'll always remember that. And, I, I you know, it was my first Stephen King book. Yeah. Well, the guy that gave me Pet Cemetery to read uh, told me that when he was reading Salem's Lot, he would get his chair and he would move it to the corner of the room with his back to the corner of the room with a light on and a crucifix on the table next to him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I love, aren't you, you know, I love that though. Yeah. It's so great. Yeah. Uh, and, and your brain is screaming, no, you know, don't do this. But your body is saying, yes, it's like yeah. I, I use the King story. He says, I can't go to sleep with one foot hanging out under out of the blanket. No. Because I know nothing's going to get my foot, nothing, nothing, nothing. But if a monster in the dark comes, it's going to see that foot, you know, and that's what it'll, you know, it'll get. So yes, yeah. I mean, I understand that totally. Yeah. I, I, I still have trouble a lot of times going to bed, not taking those last two steps and jumping into bed. So my feet aren't <laughs> close to the whatever. Yeah. Because you never know. No, you never know. Something could be under there yeah. like that. And, you know, and if you miss jumped it, and then all of a sudden that shears that that guy was yeah. in there or whatever. You, you yeah. got Fox Hill, you know? Yeah. <coughs> uh, let's see. Um, okay. Abigail uh, Stello, meet Frankenstein. Uh, that kind of got things going. Uh, what, what's your favorite of the old probably universal horror movies are you a dracula guy are you a wolfman um you know my cousin and i were texting the other night talking about watching and you and i had mentioned uh, watching peacock and uh -huh. seeing you know dracula on there and all that kind of stuff and how the prints are so stunning now if you have a decent tv yeah and they 4k them and who knows it'll be 8k next and all this kind of stuff that you can see these things and so we were going how we were texting about how great it was to revisit these films that when we grew up or 
16 millimeter, millimeter reduction prints broadcast over limited resolution technology mm -hmm. TV back then. Okay? They didn't think anything about this works up, you know, and this works and this is what we got. This is how we produce these TV sets and all that. Now we're all into this thing. So I can look at all, I've been going back and looking at all this stuff and really enjoying it in the last year, uh, well, the last few months. And I had seen a, Carrie and I had, uh, our, our comic magazine used to uh, do a joint thing with uh, the cinema, American Cinematheque here in town at Halloween, where we would tie it in with our comic books show movies so we saw Dracula but that was about 10 years ago or so ago with a, a new print that was uh, digitally remastered and then they struck a print from it and we got to see it on the screen and it was so gorgeous and beautiful and detailed that we saw but yeah. now even on the peacock and all that I'm just amazed at seeing this stuff so what sticks with me, uh, you know, it, I love so many films in so many ways. And it's kind of like food, you know, certain taste, yeah, you know, and, and things. So and your mood and then your mood may change. So it's really hard for me to pin down. But uh, I would say my favorite universal horror film from all those that grabbed me as a kid would have to be uh bride of frankenstein um it's it's humorous but it also has um the up production values it really has some great stuff karloff still looks great yeah we got a little cheekier and son of frankenstein was still great um and uh the look and design of it you know james well was at the height of his powers oh, man so many people afterwards were you know the cinematographer was brilliant on that thing but he was a heavy alcoholic and he died like yeah long after so it's, you know, to look at that with this new detail and, and everything, it's just amazing to me. And it's, um, I won't say it's as scary as some other horror films yeah. from that period, but I, for overall, I'm, I'm, and uh, what's his name, Max uh, Steiner's uh, music. Mm-hmm. The editing there at the end on the uh, when uh, the bride is revealed and the head and the, the cuts with the edits and stuff it's it's just so beyond movies at the time and, and yeah. I would like to expand upon this. Boris Karloff was a method actor before there was method actors. Sure, he could he could do stage and all this stuff, but in that character and playing it and seeing his eyes and things even though he's under all this makeup just 
there's a reason why as little kids, I think we're drawn to horror for the fantasy. And like all kids were into uh, uh, fantasy tales and horror around the fires from hundreds of years. And so we're in, it's ingrained, it's a part of us. But then there's things about the making of that movie that are so, so brilliant and ahead of its time, considering it just came. I mean, they're moving heavy equipment around fluidly for shots and stuff that they do today with no problem. Yeah. But well understood this and these, these people and, uh, and Kenneth Strick Fadden's equipment that got to enlarge upon it and that design of the, the thing at the end. It's not as complex a story, you know? It's, you know, the monster lives once a maid and yeah. victorious and then, but boy, it is just so entertaining. And uh, uh, I, I can just watch it over and over and over, you know, it, it just gets to me. I need to watch that one on Peacock because I don't have the. Yeah, it's not a premium. It's not yeah. a premium, so you can, yeah. you can watch it. I watch I watch Dracula on Peacock, and then I tried to watch Frankenstein, and I couldn't watch it. But right. I watched Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you no, know, I'm like, and they have Dracula, but you can't watch the Mummy. Yeah, you can watch the other mummies, but you can't watch the Mummy, and it's yeah. like, you know, and. Uh, and that's, you know, what's nice is, as these films have evolved, when we were kids, as we have evolved, when we were kids watching these movies, um, the, um, well, you know, Monster, it was great, okay, it's got the Wolfman, it's got this or that, then those performances, like I said, Karloff was so good, that I think it ruined us for bad, badly done movies of all genre, of all dramas or anything, mm -hmm. because they just didn't have that. If you could make you make you believe in a, a a Frankenstein monster, if you could make you believe in a Dracula and these supernatural things, reality should be made. You know, and there's yeah. certain <laughs> actors that can you know do that. And you see, and mm -hmm. then of course, the period filmmaking. I'm always amazed when I see a silent film or thirties or, you know, pre-code film or, or forties or whatever that they, that seems to go beyond the restrictions of the time and is telling a really good tell. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, Betty Davis in the little foxes, which is a Hellman story of a play that was very brilliantly done and um, and they did, did this movie version of it and I watch it and I go god this is such a good movie and the direction and the actors and all this you know stuff and the, you know she kills the husband at the end by not getting him his medicine in time so now you now you've ruined the movie well, seen it, but uh, you can. I, I swear, you can still watch that movie. It will not ruin it for you at all. 
and every, every little character part is so well done. They're they're just so got their hit their chops and stuff. So, you know, it's really interesting to, uh, you know, be surprised by these films as I have gotten to be an older person and can see yeah. things I didn't see before that I, you know, I missed. Even if it's just detail like the frost on the breath and Dracula out in the yard with the two servants, you know, and yet being able to see how practically the thread of their clothes. I mean, I, none of that was like what I could grow up, grew yeah. up and saw. You know, yeah. And things like that. And, uh, okay. Uh, all right. Here's a conversation with me and Carrie the other night by text. Frankenstein is the wolf man. The two grave robbers have broken into the, you know, crypt. I hope I'm not, I hope I'm not, uh, you're going to ruin this one for me. I know you've seen Frankenstein. <laughs> and uh, Cheney's hand comes up and grabs that one grave robber, but the fingernails are long and pronounced a little bit, but he's not changed into a werewolf. But then there's a, sh there's a shot proceeding and all that of him, of his face laying there. You don't see him too much, but Carrie sent me a freeze of it and sent it to me. You know, there's a little growth on his face. And we and he then got out, because he's Cary Gamble, he got out the screenplay for Frankenstein Meets the Wolf Man, which he owns all those copies of those uh -huh. printed books. And it mentions this stuff. Like, in other words, a body that had been in this crypt, you know, and they grow hair and fingernails, you know, a little longer. And we uh -huh. were trying to see who, who's thought or what, uh, you know, was. And but we could see it so crisp, crisp and clear now, which made a better viewing. But then again, Carrie pointed out, he says, yeah, but the only bad news is, is later with the Wolfman, you can see the uh, spirit gum yeah. reflecting <laughs> a little bit from holding the hair on the face. Uh -huh. Yeah, you know, there's that flip side. Yeah. Of things, you know. So, uh, yeah, Bride of Frankenstein is just, got it all and uh and then there's little details that are always fun uh carrie and i discovered this at a 35 millimeter screening of it back in the 90s they were starting to show this stuff and uh again and they the print material and stuff was still not that good on dvds but they were showing these 35 millimeter prints around, I think it was Halloween, we sh and Carrie was out here, and uh, we went to see Bride of Frankenstein with something else. I think it was Frankenstein. At the, I think the Rialto, or the New Art. And of course, all these people we know show up and all that. And remember, there's the classic horror film boards. So we're watching and I'd always heard that Billy Barty played a baby in one of the bottle creatures that Pretorius pulls it's out, uh, you know, and shows. Okay. Uh -huh. But they cut it for time and all, all this kind of stuff. And they thought they had enough with the characters there. But there's this one shot 
where Frankenstein begins to comment on the creatures and they're there on the table in the foreground, but up a little bit. Then Henry Frankenstein, I think Frankenstein is either here or there on this side talking to Pretorius. And he says, well, this isn't science. It's, you know, it's black magic or something, you know, like that. And he goes, in that shot, finally, after all these years, seeing it on 35 millimeter with a new improved print, I can see Billy Barty with his back to us as the, the baby kind of doing yeah. his hands here. <laughs> and I remember it carries with me. I go, look, Billy, you know, the ba a baby, you know, and he goes, he saw, he was, uh, but so we go back to classic car film boards and we announce that everybody's freaking out. This is a detail they, they haven't thought of or seen yeah. or already seen this film all around. And so then others, because they were traveling with this around the United States, were watching it and saying, yeah. And so there was this big thing. Yeah, I just, you know, you can't, uh, gleaming through those, those films, it's, it's so much fun to, to find something like that. But it's hard to find those things now. Carrie found out something, a strange, I think it was in Son of, no, no, it was Bride of Frankenstein. Is it Bride of Frankenstein or Son of Frankenstein? Where the creature is walking in the scene and they they faded something out. There was a tree limb or something in it. It's a minute detail, yeah. but it's like, why did they do that or something like that with this thing going on here? And with him, did they overlay or what with the cabin or what was going on? And it's just always amazing to me that and I'd never find anything like that, you know, but it's always great to, to find those little wonderful details. Uh, you know, there's that scene at the end of Blade Runner where Harrison Ford is being held by his hand by Rutger Hauer hanging him off the building. And he could either kill him, you know, Mm -hmm. drop him but he decides not to okay which is very important but something i didn't notice in the story before but a friend of mine pointed out so i had to see it in a theater is harrison ford is being held out there and then it, when it looks like he's gonna be he's gonna oh he's hanging on but at the last second the the android grabs him you know whatever he is and hauls him out but he spits. Now he's he's the, the shot is kind of down and he's looking up at it, Rucker Howard, and then he spits, but you don't really notice that. But then that might then it makes a little more sense why Rutger Howard grabbed him. Because even if I'm dying, I'll you know spit at you. Uh-huh. Like that. You put me in this situation, but you won't, you know, I'm dying, but pfft. But I don't think many people notice that, you know, or anything. Look for it the next time you ever look at Blade Runner, you know, uh, uh, in that moment. And that's where seeing a better, cleaner print yeah. makes a huge difference in, you know, watching the, the understand or, or bringing something more to the story, <laughs> you know, like that. You, 
if you want to hear the first the first horror film that really freaked me out grotesquely, it was The Brain That Wouldn't Die. And I'm sitting yeah. in my room with the, the black and white little TV. Brother, my Brit, my brother's asleep in his bed in Portageville. So I had to be about 11 or 12. My parents are in their bedroom across the hall and over. So it's fantastic features. It's they, they used to be broadcast on Friday and Saturday nights. On Friday nights, I want to say there was one movie. On Saturday, there was two. That was how popular it, the show was back then. So I'm watching The Brain That Wouldn't Die. Never seen it before. Don't know too much about it other than seeing some pictures from it. And you know, it's a crazy grab bag of stuff. It's a kind of a gritty grindhouse thing. The beautiful women going to the strip mm -hmm. club and finding a body for his girl. Uh, the effects are handled pretty well with this, this thing. And then he's got that thing he's working on. You don't know. The thing, the guy's feeding it or trying to beat it or something. And it rips his arm off, the assistant. At this scene, when I'm sitting there watching this, my sound turned down so my parents couldn't hear, my brother asleep. I'm 11 or 12 years old. And that arm gets ripped off. And when he pulls it out, there's a bone sticking out from his lab coat. And this blood all up and down it. And it's black and white film. And this guy is in shock and he starts staggering down and leaning against the wall and leaves blood all up and down the wall. Okay. And I don't know that at that time in my life and for what I've seen, that was so disturbing, but mm -hmm. I, again, I could not turn it off. And then when the thing breaks out and he's that mutated thing with the tennis head and the eyeball one's gone and you know, the thing I saw here, and this big guy, and he grabs the doctor, and hey, bites down on his throat. Now, nothing is shown graphically, mind you. None of this, you know. You didn't see the arm come off. Yeah. It was in a lab coat that had a little bone sticking out. No bloody arteries or things like that you can see. But then this thing bends out, and then he comes away as the body falls away, and he holds up. What looks like we all laugh at now and say, well, that's just chicken fat off a of breast, <laughs> like that, you know, but he does this. But it's the idea of it, you know, that he, oh, he'd rip some of this guy's throat off, you know, or something, even though it is chicken, looks like chicken fat. Oh my God. I mean, that just killed me. And I had to go to bed after that. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm laying in bed. It was so hard to go to sleep and, and uh, oh man, that that, that was a lot around 11 years old, 12, yeah. 11 or 12. Yeah, I love that movie too. They've done some kind of remake of it, and I, I wrote online when I saw it recently. I said, We're promoting it. I said, Why? Yeah, how? Because really, you could do that whole story again, but how are you going to do it? in that way that that movie was filmed that it, you know a product of its time forces that it was trying to 
sell, you know, a little, having a little, you know, the, you know, these girls in the strip bar, definitely shot in a place where no sound was being recorded. You know, most of the movie doesn't have that except in these shots in the, in the, the lab and stuff. Uh, I mean, you just, it just seems like doing Psycho again, you know, like even shot by shot, Gus Van Zandt, what are you thinking? Yeah. Uh. Okay, so we were talking about stuff you're reading today and uh, and and short stories and things like that. Um, I'm trying to think. Now, Stephen King has these anthologies, and I was just thinking about it the other day, and I found out that it's on YouTube, and they got the audio version of it, and it's The Cat from Hell. Do you remember that? I think it was from his Sundown short stories collection. I remember the name. I don't remember the actual story. Yeah, I really liked it uh, at the time I read it because it's, it is just a short story. It's yeah. designed to be, when I say just is, it is a short story, which is a whole nother beast from writing anything else. So it builds to an ending that it, it gets in real quick. You know what's going on? This guy's a hitman. You know, all this stuff. And then it gets out real quick. You know, yeah. This kind of thing. Uh, I think it's kind of funny that he's so good at short stories when he has trouble oh. ending his, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> his yeah, other yeah. books. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he writes so well along the way. You're just yeah. right along with it. Like, okay. You know, I reread the, uh, the stand, uh, about a year or so ago. And, um, I so enjoyed it even more than when I read it at the time, which I enjoyed it just immensely. But at the time, and this is the anointed, whatever the, the full, full on yeah. version. And, uh, and I really like the, when the men have to walk, Vegas and everything that's to that and we're talking about the Bible characters going into the wilderness and stripping themselves down not worrying about you know what is my you know what what shirt should I wear today should I eat pizza rolls or chicken McNuggets today you know all this stuff is gone clear it out of your mind so that you can, you know, really apply yourself, think in all these things. And, uh, and that was part of the reason, oh yeah, well, I'm <laughs> stripping this stuff away so I can really think on uh, these stories and things, you know? Yeah. It's just really great to revisit books. I enjoy yeah. that a lot. I Do you have that. a book that you go back? Do you have a book that you go back to from more than, more than once over the uh, years yeah it's it's not a horror well, okay. i i stole this book from senior lit class in okay. malden and i don't know how many times i've read it probably would be what wild that you would steal a book from yeah <laughs> 
and it's the only book that I've read of this author's. Uh, I've and when, after I stole it, I read it every year for about six or seven years. I haven't read it in a while since then, but I have read it a few times since then. It's of of human bondage. Oh yeah, yeah. And I'm not sure why I read that book every that often, but well, I kind of like that uh, because. Breaking down stuff and doing, you know, like the writing process or reading process and all that. It's kind of good. There's something in that book that makes you want to reread. Yeah. yeah. I need to go. I'm, it's been a few years since I've read it. Have you ever seen the uh, Betty Davis movie? No, I haven't. Well, let me tell you something, my friend. It's not exactly the movie. Okay, I mean, the book. But uh, it's Betty Davis in her 20s, early 20s, just blowing everything off the screen. Mm -hmm. uh, I used to. <laughs> oh, she was pretty then. Oh, well, not only pretty, but, but she, you know, she, you know how terrible that character is and, and, and uh -huh. well she just oh my god and she uh i remember there was this dialogue i used to use it on a back when we had cassette player playing phone message machines answering machines and it would start out and it would say it would have betty davis you know, cutting down this guy in. And when you kiss me, you know, you know, after I, after I kissed you, I used to wipe my mouth, wipe my mouth, you know, like that. <laughs> and and then I, I would, in my phone message, I'd come on and go, oh, there must have been a message left by one of my friends uh pay no attention to that so yeah you know, like, well, like, yeah, like that but it was it's really oh she is a, a force of just incredible nature in that film and you can see why you know it both it, uh, to me it reflects both her as an actress but probably her as a person is in you just didn't mess with yeah uh, Bogart said she was the only actress he worked with that made him really nervous. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, nervous is in. Yeah. Might take a gun and shoot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she's in Little Foxes to get it back to the day. She's just amazing. That that film. I'm always amazed as an adult to look at films made of the periods and think, oh, well, they used to. They had the censorship and all these things but then you go oh no this is working on such a level you know and beyond uh, whatever there was a um olivia de Havilland movie that i was turned on to and i actually found a download of it online because i couldn't get it on, find it anywhere and somebody turned me on to it and uh it's with Montgomery Cliff. That's one of Montgomery Cliff's first movies. Olivia de Havilland 
and it, it's called the oh, it's called the Eris. It's based on a book, but it, it had an it was really well done, and it had an ending that they just don't do in movies nowadays. They can say movies are great. And you can do this and that today and all that, but this was where they had a an ending that something dramatic's going on and and, and all that. I won't give it away, but um, they just don't go for that kind of finality, you know. It seems yeah. like they want to make movies today, and even if there is a final kind of a scene. It turn, you know, something happens and this person walks away into the city or the sunset or whatever, you know, like that. And this was just bam, sending you out with a, a bang thing. And that's what I'm going to do with that black cat story. It's very easy. And let's get it back to horror on Pet Cemetery. When I reread Pet Cemetery, uh, I had been reading King's on writing the book yeah. that he did. And I highly, have you read that? No, I haven't read that one. Oh, you should read it. Read it. And he doesn't get into a lot of technique. He's talking about what, you know, you, if you want to do something, you, you'll do it. He described writing as being like archaeology, that you've got a dinosaur fossil dinosaur in the earth and you're picking away to get to the dinosaur and when it's done you've got this thing that's how he he basically describes the writing process for him yeah i describe about how the story speaks to me you know he says it's all there you just gotta scrape away sometimes you gotta go back and scrape some more or sometimes you just pink and that's it you know it all the debris knocked off it's there but I, I like to think about the creative process and how it um, you know it definitely you know gets going for me uh, and changes things you know and all that well Pat Cemetery he <clears throat> had gotten a job as a writer in residence at the University of Maine and I say job, he was offered this position, which they do to writers. He had started making money, in other words, and a name for himself there in Maine. So he was young, you know, and all this at the time, or youngish in his, his world. And um, so he was, they gave him a house to use, but the house didn't really afford for a place for him to do the writing. And he's laughed about, hey, I, I, you're talking to a guy that used to have a writing room next to the washing machine, you know, in the back of the house, a little mm -hmm. thing. So he's that, he's talking about, but this house did not have what would be conducive for writing, to be really shut away. So across the street, a neighbor friend had this some kind of store and had a room and he could write in it. So he went across the street and he wrote Pet Cemetery in pencil 
all by hand. Okay. Because of, I forgot what the reason was, but it just kind of did that. And he talked about how he really liked that. But in that it was a different kind of beast. And I read this, read his book after I'd already written two of my scripts on all these other forms. And I was thinking, wow, this is, well, I'm on par with Stephen King on this. And yeah. it makes you more, uh, you write in a different state. And so, but then I, what I noticed about Pet Cemetery, Pet Cemetery is a very, very dark EC Comics version of, a, of King doing his stories. Now, King always has some EC, when I say EC, I'm talking about the EC, you know, entertainment comics mm -hmm. that William Gaines did that were notorious and they had the, uh, the investigations of comics for what they call lured stuff. And let's say, you know, back then, yeah, people got killed and these corpses and things would come out of the grave. And also, it could be pretty disturbing in a lot of ways. Uh, and then the, the, the comics industry created their own code, the comics code of approval, and it got rid of all those books. So William Gaines took his mad comic book and turned it into Mad Magazine was very successful with that. But these EC artists and writers had a particular type of story. And they're like short stories as we were talking earlier. It's a different beast. It's eight pages, okay? Got to get in, you got to move the plot. Probably, well, Archie Goodwin said two, there should be two plot points, something happening. You should have two a page. And at the end of your eight or nine pages, boom, a whammo, finish, you know, with the horror and the stuff mm -hmm. going on. So King, who, as you mentioned earlier, that getting to the end seems, you know, it, it will go here and there and, then, and, and, and to the end. He has, he has some trouble with that or Maybe he doesn't. I don't know that it's trouble. It's just <laughs> I'm not a trouble. I'm not a billions yeah. <laughs> of uh, books in the world. So, um, but his ending of that is so bleak. I mean, a child murdering his mother. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> the father having to murder the child then the father going nuts and hauling the wife off to be bring it back bring her back and all that and it, it just was so ec to me it really and i i saw it almost an ec uh-huh I, I saw that the, the the writer as stephen king with the white hair and that guy going up the logs, his friend from the, the clinic, and him calling back to him, Steve, Steve, you know, I'm glad you came. You know, you, you always go, yeah. You know, that. It's like, it's just a madman. And it seems like sort of Poe type writing to this and that. 
Now, one thing we haven't covered though, which I, you know, King would be probably okay with is, you know, King's drinking during all this time, you know, up until, I don't know how many years ago, you know, he had, was drinking and I'm, I know he was drinking at this time. Okay. Yeah. And there's just something about the wildness of that ending. And then the final, you know, him back at the house and his wife walks in and puts her hands on his shoulders and says his name, darling, you know, yeah, <laughs> you know, and this madness and just that, you know, I love the thought that Tabitha read it and said, well, yeah, it's, it's good, but I don't know if they'll, they'll print this. <laughs> she's totally right. Now. I just don't know if they'll print this. Yeah. You know? Oh, it's such did, a. It, did you see the remake of the movie? Yeah. I haven't. I haven't seen the remake. Well, without giving anything away, I both liked some things in it, and then I didn't like some things. Yeah. And I thought these guys kind of had some good ideas and they weren't able to pull it off quite yeah. with the panache that it needed. Yeah. Did you like the original? Uh, let's see. I, I didn't really. I think I was, I was kind of disappointed in it. Well, I, I was too, and uh, funny story about the original. Uh, a buddy of mine worked ADR on that, which is a uh, uh, a dubbing people that come in and redub dialogue mm -hmm. because they you know, they do a ton of that, you know, in films. And he worked on that, and so I went to a cast and crew screening. I think it was in Westwood. Yeah. I think it was the Fox Westwood. And uh, so I went and afterwards, somebody asked me, well, did you like it? You know, because they knew I was a big horror fan and all this stuff. And you have to be careful at things like that. You don't know who you'll insult or something. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> there's an art to answering questions at screenings like that with these people. So uh, I, I said, well, you know, I liked, you know, some of this and this and that, but I just, I don't know. I, it just doesn't gel for me, you know, in a way. I, I don't feel like it's, complete and it seems a little more and that's not to say that it, it has to follow the book yeah but it just it just didn't end with a good horror feel or jolt to it like that and these people were like okay yeah that's good that's a good answer and then milling around with the people you know afterwards i think they had food or drink or something like that with this place 
and I kind of like realized this guy had was talking to some people and he was repeating exactly what oh. I said. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, oh, well, I guess I gave a decent enough answer. Yeah. Or something. You know, I know one thing I'm proud of with my screen play people that I know that write screenplays, they ask me to read a screenplay. And so I read it and then I really think about it. And then I make notes that I use a uh, little post-it notes and things in the script and turn it back to them, you know? And I, and then I tell them, I said, look, I, you know, I left you some notes and things in this. No, no, it's okay. You know? And then, you know, I have people that don't ever really talk to me again after that. <laughs> are, are, and I never mean or anything. I yeah. say, I understand you were going for this or blah, 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 but whatever, you know, there's something, you know, so and so, so and so, so and so. And here's, you know, this might have been better for if he'd done this or she had done that. So I'm real kind of careful with that stuff. But uh, then I have friends that come back and go, Sam, you're the only guy I know really reads my script. And even if I don't agree with what you said, I really appreciate it because you give me notes and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, so many people read it and go, oh, yeah, it's really good. You ought to get it out to so-and-so. And, you know, if anything, maybe a little bit of the dialogue here and there. And, you know, it's this real standard kind of a thing where it says, you're specific. I can tell that you read it and you think, and you always say, this is me, it, you know, maybe I'm full of it, you know, at the end like that. So, which is true. You never know what's, you know, again, one of the, by the way, one of the best modern screenplays that I read was if you ever get a chance, to, I think it's on, all these things are online, it's uh, Shawshank Redemption by uh, Frank Darabont. Mm -hmm. I felt like it was, a beautiful screenplay that was somewhere between i you know the 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 stephen king writing and then this guy was a very original great writer on his own and darabont is you know really good at that the, uh again this friend of mine we were rooming in a place and he brought me the script and he says look i'm gonna let you read this for a week but, you know, I'm working on it right now. Shawshank Redemption is based on Stephen King. And I thought you'd love this script, Sam. I know you'd love this script. And he's right, man. The, the, it's just so beautifully written. Yeah. Uh, that And yet it's still a script. It's not like, you know, I mean, some scripts are just, you know, the guy gets out of the car, a bottle of whiskey falls in the ground. You know, he, he checks the bullets. Drops a few, goes in, blah, blah, blah. He made it so interesting, you know, to read. And I say that because Frank Darabont, you know, did The Walking Dead, you know, adapted those mm -hmm. and did such a um, uh, incredible job with transferring that to the screen. And then AMC tries to scream over. Yeah. <laughs> and he oh, goes for it and is able to prove it. So he's going to end up making millions. But what yeah. kills me is, there should have been about 
five or six Frank Darabont movies since then. He did that Mob City that was shown on some network. I forgot who one season. And I didn't know, I, I had heard something about Mob City and there was a book. Well, I read the book not too long ago. And it's a great book on the mob in LA and the police and the back and forth and the things that went on and up until the um, right at the 70s with Parker retiring in this. and it's just, it was great. But so, but, and I liked the TV series, but after that, Frank just settled back, let the lawyers deal with this court case. And it just kills me that he's not out there making, yeah, making more, you know, that more Stephen King, you know. Stephen King loves him, you know, on that play. Oh, The Mist. Oh my God! You talk about a horror story. That's one of my favorite stories, and I haven't seen the movie. I never well, did watch the movie, but well, well, let me. I I won't even tell you what. I'm going to be careful with you, but I'm telling you, even Stephen King, after he saw the movie, he went, "Oh my God, that ending is brilliant." I did not see that. Yeah, he's made up. This movie is brilliant he he closed the movie in other words better than me he closed the story now the talk about the short story is in the ambiguous ending of the st- short story mm-hmm. and the mist and and you know this kind of stuff and uh, and what Darabont did in his in his movie is a devastating horror ending, and it's horror as in just horror, not specifically a monster killing. Yeah, just horror, and uh, <clears throat> it's it's quite enjoyable, you know. But but in a in, in a get ready for a horror depressing kind of th- way, you know, like that. Um. So please go out and get the best. And you know what Frank Darabont did? And I thought this is funny because um, um, George Miller did the same thing too with uh, Fury Road. Can you guess what it is? No. Okay. (laughs) You can watch both movies on DVD and their DVD versions. You can watch them with the commentary, okay? And then you can watch both of these films, or at least in certain releases, you can watch them tweaked in black and white as if they were a black and white movie. Oh, cool. And that the filmmakers were the ones that oversaw Uh that process because they said, you know... I really feel like this is a, you know, black and white. You don't just go flip. It's black and white. Yeah. You know, black and white is a black and white thing. Color is a color thing. But he turned around and did that and made it available. And I have never seen either versions of those movies in black and white. But 
I just hear oh everybody that the film geek guys and I know yeah. go, oh my god yeah it's just incredible yeah you know, like that. so another reason <laughs> to watch in color and then flip to black and white if you have the option at some point I need to do that you know now if Jeff was on here he said there hasn't he'd say something about there hasn't been any good movies made since they went from black and white to color but <laughs> well i mean there's not a part not of seriously that, but well, you know but there's a part of me that is <laughs> kind of believes that and of course there's people out there that just go what the f hell yeah. is black and white it's not color it's you know what do you mean it's terrible you know and all that what i look at is that you had these people working in the industry from art directors to clothing and set actual guys that painted the paint uh makers and um all these guys that could and they knew each other they worked at studios and they would walk in every day and then oh yeah i'm on this new whatever movie and it's being shot with so-and-so and so they're all friends and stuff so this led to this incredible especially with black and white films that they can make them and know what how the depth and the light and this and that all worked without having to be involved with color i'm not knocking color at all i you know i think it's fine now but they were able to concentrate on a story being told. That doesn't mean that they didn't concentrate on the elements in the black and white photography. It was just different. When you add color, uh, uh, too bad Jeff isn't here because I would love to be able to talk with him, get him sometime. You then change so much in the mood and the way a movie hits the audience because, and then I as an art teacher and with training in art, know that colors have these ways of affecting us. And suddenly you're having to think all those things where before, there was less thought to that, you know? Mm -hmm. Okay. The guy walks into the room, so-and-so makes a move. He punches the guy across the mouth. He goes down. You add a little Bosco syrup to the side of the guy's, you know, lip on the floor and he wipes it off and we go on filming or whatever is accepted for, for that. Now you do that in color. What clothing, is this guy too bright? Is he overshadowing this guy, blah, 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 all these things. And then boom, it's the blood. Now you've added blood and people have a very, it's a reaction to blood and the color red. All this comes in and then if the blood doesn't look real, you're killing the moment the reality and you're taking people out go oh, what's that fake orangey blood on there you know yeah something or that black black or whatever it is 
all these, your mind starts getting bombarded with all these things where black and white was other. Now there are people that grew up with color and they, you know, they just think, you know, that having to rethink or watch a story in black and white is torture, you know, and all that. Yeah. Do you remember the movie, uh, what was the name of that? What Lies Beneath? Yes, with um, Harrison Ford and Michelle. Yes, yes. <laughs> back when we watched it, back whenever it came out and got it on uh, tape, you know, went down to Blockbuster and rented it. I'm not sure how I had, what I'd done on my TV or VCR, but we watched it and I made a comment at, after it was over that I thought it was really cool that they had done this major motion picture at this time in black and white. And we, everybody thought that was strange. And then come to realize I had hit some setting and watched it in black and white instead of in color. So we watched mm -hmm. it later again in color. And I went, no, it was a better movie <laughs> in black and white. <laughs> well, even though it wasn't shot for black and white. I See there, you're, I don't know, how much of that is, is bias? Yeah. Our growing up black and white and how much is, and I respect your, knowledge of uh, film and all that kind of stuff and it probably is better in black and white but who's it's kind of hard to say and it's a kind of an argument that i think is a kind of a was it what do they call it a sucker's argument you know because if somebody doesn't believe yeah you know it's you know why are you you know you're gonna go get into it as far as that goes uh, oh but i can't bring this up and it's hard as you know, Dracula was was uh, shot with uh, just minimal music, and uh, they had the opera, and they had the Swan's Lake at the first, and these things, and uh, and at the end there, and there are people that say, well, that makes the movie more creepy, and. It fits, you know, for these reasons. Mm -hmm. And then there's these kind of people, of which I'm kind of with, that go, yeah, but, you know, it was, you know, they were filming it in 1929, coming two years after sound had hit, 27. And even that was partial sound. So sound has finally come in. And it's filmed by a director that's been working in silent movies. Yeah. And where certainly he gave thought of how this might musically be played. It wasn't a big thing with, you know, it was then hand, the film was then handed, handed over and whoever the orchestra, if you had one, or a piano player would just create stuff for. <laughs> now, um have you seen the Lugosi Dracula version with there's a French release of the DVD and they put 
library music from the Universal Studios into the film, scored it, and uh, so it's, you know, universal, somber, uh -huh. you know, music and all that. Have you ever seen that? Huh. Okay. For a long time, you could, apparently there was a release of Dracula that Universal did, and they had the French release on it with this music. But I had heard about it. And people talked about it. Oh, no, it's, you know, they shouldn't do that and all that. Well, on Sfinguli, like about over two years ago, they said, we're showing Dracula tonight and we're showing it with the music from this French version. Mm -hmm. And proceeded to see, I mean, proceeded to watch it. And I thought it was absolutely just tremendous, you know. I thought, oh, my God. Yeah. This is the version I would show to younger people and stuff that are perhaps never seen it before. And then they could watch the other and, you know. But I would do this. I would, I would stick with this. Hmm. And uh, it's not a new score or anything. Yeah. So existing cues and things but it really was really I mean, amazing and really good and uh and then i've i've written to Svenguli, please show that version again i they haven't and i almost wonder if universal didn't give them some shit for it yeah. afterwards about uh, it yeah but maybe not maybe it's they're just holding it back or something you know like that but uh, it's the only place I've seen it where you see it with English, English, and it has that French music on it. I don't know who they worked it out with. Yeah, I thought it was in French. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was just a French version that had English, and they put it in and released it in France. Uh, but either way, I want a copy of that. I don't yeah. know how I'm gonna get it, but I'm gonna someday. So be on the lookout for that, especially if. Spinguli's got Dracula on. Yeah. You know, cue in because they usually say they're going to, you know, take him from the French version or something like that. Mm. Well, talking about Spinguli, uh, and, you know, we grew up watching Savad. Uh, wow. I found uh, another hosted show. Have you ever seen Horror Hotel with La Mia? Queen of the Darkness or something like that. She's a vampire host and shows uh, old movies. But the show is called Horror Hotel. Horror Hotel. And she runs a, a horror hotel. They do the old shows. And then they, they do a film festival every year up in, I think it's Ohio. Hmm. Uh, and you, you, know, horror, you can find her, can find her on the. I can't think of, uh, you know, seeing it. I've never seen it, though. Yeah uh they have a facebook page uh i found it when we on our tv we have a roku tv and uh it's one of the you can it's one of the channels that you can add that's and it's free and she does old horror movies and i really like her she uh you know they still have the 
the horror shit stuff, you know, goofy stuff. But she talks a lot about, you know, making the movie and the histories of them. And uh, seems very, seems like she really likes the movies. You know, Savini, uh, Svenguli does that too. He's always in yeah. there showing a, having a segment where <clears throat> he'll show different actors and things and talk about, you know, this and that from yeah. somebody's written that stuff up. But I will look for Horror Hotel. And if it's on a streaming through my Roku, which I have the same thing. Yeah. I love that. This uh, Roku TV. Yeah. TCL TV. Yeah. I couldn't afford a Samsung or something. That's, that's, but, that's uh, what ours is. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's a 50 inch. It's like, I was going to get a 43 inch, but they all sold out at Walmart and they were selling these cheap because they're, they're expecting that, you know, yeah. next stage. Yeah, you know stuff but i'm sitting here going i i'm loving the pictures and things i'm seeing on this you know? yeah ours great. we've we've talked about the the picture is almost too good on watching some regular tv shows uh-huh it it's the picture is so good you notice that it's obviously a set you know it does not look yeah, yeah. real yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, that's the big thing with HD is that, well, you see it now, uh, especially those old shows, they scan. I mean, Star Trek, I love it, but good Lord, you can look at some of the sets sometime and just go, oh, yeah, this yeah. And blah, blah, blah. And yeah. All this stuff looks, you know, so bad. Then, uh, uh, H with the HD, um, uh, well, it's creating a whole new, yeah, like set of problems and things like yeah. that you're talking about. Now, yeah. let me ask you, is this this uh, streaming channel that's available for free on um, <clears throat> Roku, what's the name of that app? Is it called Horror Hotel? Mm -hmm. Okay, so then I can find it really easy. Yeah. In fact, I've, I've went through a bunch of them, so maybe I, I glossed over that as yeah. far as I go. I, I think, I'm pretty sure it's Horror Hotel. You know, and, matter of fact, I watched that's after we watched uh, Dracula the other day. Uh -huh. I went back and watched uh, Nosferatu, the the silent, uh -huh. and I think it was on Horror Hotel because I'd never seen that. You know, here's the thing with like there's a bunch of channels that show all kinds of movies. Yeah, now especially now, uh, and there's all this public domain stuff. And it's from whatever print they can get. Yeah. But yet, I've seen some of these sites, you know, like horror, horror films or, you know, whatever it's called. And gone in and had it, you know, on my streaming to look through things. They have all types of Western, you know. So yeah. much is in public domain. So, but then I'll see Frankenstein or something on there and I go, well, how the heck are they getting this, you know, yeah. this on earth or something, you know, a creature or something like that from the Black Lagoon. And it's like, well, I guess they have some deal worked out with, and I don't understand the, the intricacies of streaming today and creating revenue and how that's yeah. all parceled out. Like we're getting Peacock and we can watch these movies, but we can't watch the other movies. Yeah. Now, I'm sure they thought 
that these get the most, you know, you know, like you can, you can't watch Frankenstein, but you can watch Pride of Frankenstein. Yeah. Pride of Frankenstein is really, yeah. And you can watch Dracula, you know, son of Dracula and um, Dracula's daughter, you know, but you can't watch the mummy. Yeah. Or Wolfman. Huh? You can't watch the Wolfman either. Yeah. The Wolfman. I don't get that. I guess they consider mummies, you know, uh, more people watch. A mummy. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I can't believe more people would watch the mummy movie because it's a little slow and a product of its time. It's beautiful. I love it for yeah. what it is, you know, and, and uh, Zola, the girl, the actress, whew, man, I love looking at her. She's just fantastic, you know, and all that. But, um, how they come up with this stuff? Yeah, I don't know. But they have. Hey, you can watch uh, Alfred Hitchcock presents, I think. And there's some. Sh- I went on there and looked up some of the best shows and said, "Okay, I'm going to watch this one or this mm-hmm. one." This one. Except you. I guess what though? I'm I'm looking up Slaughter to the Lamb, which is a Robert uh, Dahl story that he wrote wrote the screenplay and Hitchcock uh, filmed for the series. Have you ever seen it? Mm-mm. I don't uh, think so. It's what, so what was that one? Sla- uh, Slaughter to the Lamb. Or, or Lamb to the Slaughter. I forgot which. Yeah. One, of those. one of those. Okay. Anyway. Uh, and it, it, it just happens all at this one place but all i say is there's a murder and a housewife and the cops it's all I'll say but it is so well done and and beverly bell gaty uh gettys barbara barbara bell gettys stars in it and she's just wonderful. She's absolutely wonderful in the film. And it's, you know, like, you know, it'll take you right up to the end. And I'm, that's all I want to say. And don't read anything about it. Just find it. Okay. I found, in fact, I'll try to send you, I've got the, uh, I got a URL to a daily motion site. to get away with posting a bunch of stuff that YouTube's cracking on. But anyway, they don't show it on the Peacock. They don't show this. They got everything else, but that one episode, that season, is not on there. I guess it's because it's Hitchcock, see? And they have a way of merchandising the ones that he sold or or that he directed. But it's really, really good. And there's apparently another, I don't know if it's a doll story, but it's story and think Hitchcock, I, I think he directed it about a guy in a bed and there's this viper in the bed. You know, it's done in some jungle locale thing. Yeah. It's all about him dealing with the whole 30 minutes. It's just him. And I just keep hearing how this actor and the, the thing is really suspenseful and all. It's called Poison, I think. It's what it's called. 
Hmm. I had to find that one too. Well, back back to your question about black and white and color and these things. I I I don't want to say that any period are is better than the other because certain films are that come out now I see and I like I am a little per, uh, frustrated perplexed by hype sometimes they really want to get somebody to you know and this guy has done a really good job up to a point but it's you know, depending on who it is. But for the most part, I kind of take them for a grain of salt when I see all the hype on a new independent film, horror film. Mm -hmm. Because it'll have things to it, but then again, there'll be things missing. Like, I've, for instance, I watched The Witch through my library service has a thing called Canopy. And I can watch it. And it's by this director that went on to do The Lighthouse with Patterson and Defoe, Willem Defoe, you know, that is in black and white. And it's supposed to be brilliant and all this kind of stuff, but it's a pretty rough movie to watch in a way. And I admire that the guy did this, but I watched The Witch. And have you seen The Witch? No, I haven't. It's really... A lot of people complain about the accents and dialogue because it's so period piece. These new people that have come to America and they're living off in the space. And then this idea of a witch and things get integrated into the story. And by the way, the girl playing the young the daughter, the teen daughter, the barely teen daughter is the actress that played in um, Split that was so great. Did you see Split? No. Oh, you got to see Split. I mean, I got, I, I was really shocked at how good it was, you know. It has, a, you know, little moments that aren't, that a little less, but yet it was so good. And the girl is good. You can go online and I think they have the first four or five minutes of uh -huh. split, split the whole setup and uh and it's really good and you know it has the guy that plays professor x xavier in the new x-men movies uh-huh the young guy not, not as young as he was now yeah <laughs> uh uh you know as this character and he's really good i mean it's it's, it's worth it to watch it you can get get it split but she's in it and it, but it was before Split. So she's just this actress. And she's got this presence. But overall, especially with some of their cert certain things that happen. And I'm like, where here you were doing what was a pretty adult 70s kind of psychological horror horror thing you know yeah and then suddenly you go this direction and this it's two o'clock this is where i'm getting back to um 
what your brother said, Jeff, and uh, and that I think we should share in some ways. I have a problem today with a lot of people, whether they're doing comics or movies, our political discussions and stuff, and they have gaps in their knowledge. I'm, you know, in my 60s, and there's certain things I've been through and seen and all that over all these years, you know, both in comic stuff, politics, politics, which I love, and all this kind of stuff. And I'm amazed at how somebody could comment on something and not know or understand something. And it's only because they haven't had a full schooling in this stuff. And I find that there are directors today or writers that are working on pieces and they do a pretty good because they have seen certain films and they read books and this and that. But then they make these, what I call mistakes and things, and especially in comic books, I'm always amazed at how layout and design and comics are just gotten really bad and overdone and, you know, and over, and we have computer coloring with comics today, but people overdo it, okay? And they don't suit it to the requirements of the, the way the art was done or something. Because, a, Jack, for example, Jack Kirby's early, uh, 60s work isn't meant to be colored in a 2020 way with gradation of tones and lighting and color and all that stuff. It was made with these black slashy marks and stuff that you could have a certain uh, degree of changing the light and shadow, but that's not what that was meant for. Those black, harsh blacks and stuff with the inkers and stuff, that's the way it was designed for four color printing at that time. Doing this other tends to uh, mute, muddy the artwork, okay? Under, under that, by adding more mm -hmm. shades and tones. Adding so much color with like, crashing through a window and now you can add the sliver of light on the corner and add that in there if you're you're this colorist that's ooh, trying to show off how good it is suddenly that's never that adding all that detail detracts from the whole thing okay and i use that as an example that a lot of stories and stuff today i feel like oh they get a big beautiful scene but are they telling the story? Do they know what's going on in the story? And my friend, John Cassidy, who I spoke passionately about at the beginning, who loves all these films and stuff, I brought up, he, I took him over to Bob Burns' house to go through Bob Burns' uh, uh, collection of great Hollywood stuff. And we were talking and I was explaining a little bit about John and I said, no, John has grown up with watching the great movies 
whether they be A movies, B movies, and the great artist of comics, though they be worked on this major thing or lesser things, and combines it all. And if you want to be a, a top selling artist like him now, um, you have to go, you have to be a fan of these kind of things and look and all that to learn how to tell a story, what's important, you know, and all that. And obviously, John is so successful because he still knows what all these guys figured out a long time ago in designing a layout to a page, to telling what goes into that panel and how not to overcolor it or undercolor it. And John, I maybe feels so good, goes, exactly, Sam, you know. <laughs> you have to go through these things to put this work out. So I'm seeing so much work that can be, even like the witch can be like almost 95% good. And then you just kind of mess up some things yeah. that are really bad, you know. Uh, or you take us out of that reality at a key moment. We can forgive certain things at certain times and this and that uh, uh, in a story, but when it really counts and you're showing something on the screen that this moment, this picking up this glass means something, poison or mother's stuff, Ratatouille at the end with the French guy eats that simple little food and just he's taken right back to his childhood yeah. and all this kind of stuff. I'm seeing knowing what you're supposed to put into the scene and the moment and how it's gauged and then what it will mean to you uh, and, and all that. I get so frustrated by these guys that almost get it today. That's what it is. Almost get it. And I hear it and news uh, there's a, a person I know that gets these po uh, little daily podcasts on the economy and all that. And I get real frustrated by the person that's talking. And he seems like a smart guy and all that. He's kind of a libertarian, but he, he's left out key things in his analysis of the situation. When I pointed out, you know, my friend got really upset about, <laughs> you know, but I like it because it is, you know, condensed it down to 10 minutes, you know, and then I don't like to spend a lot of time with news. And I go, and that's my curse. My curse is knowing. But for this guy to get on and say this, even, oh, well, he's got all these ads and people show he's got a big leadership, you know, I mean, a uh, viewership and all that. I'm gone. Yeah, but you're, you're essentially giving out information to suit your agenda, not doing an objective journalistic job that tells you what's really going on. So you can, if it's economic, make an, uh, an uh, a informed uh, you know, point on that or anything. And I hear, yeah. oh, film, what was it the other day in film on, uh, it was on Twitter. And I got to stay away from Twitter and <laughs> and Facebook too. And they, oh yeah, it was on Facebook. And they, they made some comment about 
that Westerns were all influenced by Japanese samurai films. And they, they were using Yojimbo and these things to discuss this. And I brought in, I said, well, no guys, you, you gotta remember Akira Kurosawa, who you're saying changed everything. He was a fan of the Westerns by Ford and these people and that influences his samurai films that then went back and the samurai stories lent themselves to Westerns. So yeah. remember, because this guy loved Westerns, you know, especially those, those, those samurai Westerns and the Italian filmmakers, Ernie O'Macone, who, would, uh, I mean, uh, not Ernie O'Macone, uh, Sergio Leone makes a Western version of a Japanese films because he sees the inherent western movie influence so they were kind of like oh, no, 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 no. you know like and i'm thinking ah you millennials or whatever like. so i had to go online and find a couple of stories where he's quoted kurosawa about how much he loved ford in the westerns and blah 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 and then he went got to make his samurai movies you know quoted it put in the link and then everybody shut up. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what I mean is the dialogue there going on with these gaps and their knowledge. And, but, you know, if I had grown up later, I, I guess I'd be like that too, you know. John Cassie is one of the last kids I knew that grew up with. If you missed it on TV, he had the option of recording it, but if you missed it on TV, you missed it, you know? Yeah. And there was no internet or anything like that, but that's what's made him such a great illustrator in these things. And a filmmaker, he, he directed an episode of Josh Whedon's Dollhouse. It was the next to the last episode at that time. And he's, he's in the DGA and he wants to do film. And I please, I pray to God that they let him do film. Yeah. We've been working on a, a little uh, horror story. He had the idea and I kind of played around with it, worked it all up. And then he's kind of buried it. But it, it's, you know, if I could tell you, it would be a really cool idea if we could, if it could be done. Yeah. But we'll see. Oh. <laughs> I, I do want to mention the name of my Western script <laughs> is called Wasted. Wasted. And it's the idea and everything behind it and the, the setup. I'm telling you, you're going to love it. I can talk to you about it outside of uh, a podcast. Okay. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And eventually, cool. I'll probably send you the script of it when yeah. I you know, finish it. Oh, I'd like that. I'd like to know what you and Jeff would think okay. of the, uh, the thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And let's see. Uh, what else can we talk about? I don't know. What, what, what else do you want to is, talk? is there any movie, horror movies that you watch like every year during October? Oh yeah. Uh, well, Bride of Frankenstein, the Universal stuff. It, 
know, if I haven't seen one or whatever. I, I really enjoyed watching The Raven the other night uh, just because the print was so good and then looking at Lugosi and, uh, you know, you know, I... I take the torture, torture out of me by torturing you. <laughs> you know, but he delivers that stuff so well, yeah. you know. And uh, I watched two biographies on him last night and uh, on YouTube just to watch them and uh, to uh, things I knew, but just, you know, his, his past was so interesting. And, you know, he was in World War One and, you know, he, uh, his theater group was, was hunted down for communists. He had to escape, you know, from Hungary and all these yeah. things. You know, really fascinating stuff. You know, there, there should be a movie about Lugosi made at some point. And then his performances and even these little films, he would just give it his all. Always remember, uh, when, um, Martin, I mean, um, who's the guy that played him in Ed Wood? Uh, yeah. <laughs> when, when he won the Academy Award, Jack Nicholson was quoted as saying that his uh, <clears throat> portrayal of Lugosi was a Valentine to acting. You know? Yeah. And uh, I thought that was perfectly you know done well so i watched that but let's see other let's see films that i uh try to watch during this time of year i try to watch um uh, universal and then um i'm trying to think of the more oh yeah 50s well i watched the thing but I'll watch the, the original thing from another world any chance I can get. Um, let's see, I'll watch uh, Carnival of Souls. Um, that feels like a film that could have been made yeah. outside of Malden, you know, in a way <laughs> with the kind of thing. Let's see, I'll watch uh, <clears throat> trying to think of the newer stuff that i've watched or try to watch at this time of year uh, i try to watch the night stalker the original night Stalker uh -huh. movie, tv movie um you know jeff rice wrote the unpublished manuscript of that and but it was you know dan curtis produced it he didn't direct it Guy did Dark Shadows, you know, yeah. Winds of War and all this stuff. But they were so fortunate they got Richard Matheson to write the screenplay. <clears throat> and to me, that's why that movie is so good. Yeah. And I've read Rice's book was published. It's okay. But uh, you know, definitely the, the you know, Matheson brought the everything, yeah. To the movie. And then Llewellyn, I think it's the guy's name that directed it, 
was a good competent director, but somehow with that film, he really pulled it off. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> uh, The Exorcist, I tried to watch The Exorcist at this time of year. Um, oh, I love, uh, uh, you know, any of the, anything with Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. Yeah. Is the Dracula or Van Helsing or Dr. Frankenstein. Yeah. I watched not too long ago, I watched uh, Revenge of Frankenstein, which was the second film, I, yeah. I believe. And it's just so great. And I love that they, instead of making a movie about a guy making a monster, it's really about Frankenstein and how Universal saw in Peter Cushing. Yeah. They had this person that could would be interesting and all that kind of stuff you know and it would go with frankenstein like that and then um let's see uh pardon me um okay peter cochine oh brides of dracula i love brides of dracula. yeah there's just something about that movie that I can watch it over and over. I'll sit down and watch Curse of the Werewolf, but it's hard. Uh, it's It looks so much like, you know, we're working on a set and we got bad wigs and, yeah. <laughs> you know, all the stuff that, that irks me. And yet it's Oliver Reed. He's always great in whatever he does and he's trying to knock it out in this film and it does you know it has that great moment in the uh, child's room where he's there at the you know after those things but that blood looks so fake and and uh but then we have <clears throat> the whole background story comes into play and then the then at the ending there we get into the wild crazy stuff with the uh the werewolf and that's just tremendous you know yeah to see that stuff you know and, and used in that village well we usually i've got four or five movies that i usually try we always have to watch my wife's uh favorite halloween movie and, we, and we've actually watched it twice this year so far hocus pocus gotta gotta oh, watch yeah. hocus pocus yeah. and Huh? They're doing a Hocus Pocus too. Are they? Are they finally? Yeah. In fact, I saw that they are releasing pictures of Bette Midler and the other two actresses, yeah, partner and the other guy, girl. They were on the set, and I think it's going to be a like a Netflix or yeah, you know, something like that kind of a thing. So yeah, we always we always watch that. We watched Charlie Brown last night. Uh, but then I always watch uh, Trick or Treat. Did you ever see Trick or Treat? Play a little anthology film. Yeah. 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 And since they since it came out and I first saw it, I've it's it's one that I always watch at least once. Uh, let's see what else do I watch. I usually try to go back and watch uh, Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. I I still think the scene in the cemetery when you first see the first zombie stumbling in the background slowly yeah. coming through that 
I think that is a perfect scene. Uh, I don't. I don't think I, it gets any better Romero, than that. Romero was amazing, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know that, and uh, and the, you know a black actor playing the hero in the film and, all, and gets killed in it. I mean, it was just yeah. That was beyond filmmaking at the time to, you know, today. And you can only get away with it doing low-budget filmmaking, you know. Yeah. And the actor was really good in the role. It wasn't like they just, okay, we're going to black. I know they had a good actor playing the part. Uh, what else did I try to watch? I loved, I loved Dawn of the Dead. I saw it in the movie theater in yeah. Hollywood when it came out in 1979. And it was, oh, God. That freaked me out. In fact, when at the at the at the first when the cops are shooting everything up and killing both humans and zombies, just nuts. And then later, when uh, they're in, they're they're cleaning out the uh, mall by shooting them and going around and all that kind of stuff. That film, I remember sitting in the theater and after it was over, I talked talked to my friend Clay McBride from Cape, who had moved out here like I had from and saying, okay, I, I think I finally know what it was like, what it's like to be in a war situation like Vietnam, where there are no rules. Yeah. No one's going to stop you for shooting things. If you legitimately thought that's a problem, because things are happening fast and all that kind of yeah. stuff. And I, and I still think about that and think that this little horror film or night, you know, amazing horror film was able to reach me on a deeper level. And yeah, tell me a deeper truth, you know. Anyway, sorry to mean interrupt. That's all right. I need to. I need to go rewatch that one too. Uh, shoot, it seems like I had a couple others that I usually try to watch, and I've I've blanked on them. I have been trying to go back and watch some older movies. Uh, this year we just watched. Uh, and it might be my favorite of the old old movies, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh, I love, yeah. Yeah. I love films that are genre, but they're speaking to other things. But, with, you know, they, they slip the, the message in under the, the yeah. door versus the neon arrow saying, hey, look. Yeah. They're doing like, which Night of the Living Dead, no mention of the, that it was a yeah. black or anything like that at that time. And then this film, you know, that does yeah. that, you know, these things is yeah. great. Oh, uh, there's another one that has popped. I re just remembered. I always watch, uh, we always watch Nightmare Before Christmas. I guess it, oh, it's yeah, kind yeah, of a yeah. Halloween Christmas movie. I don't know how you classify it, but I always watch that. Uh, well, that's a great little movie yeah you know? that's one of those I, I saw it in the theater like nine times <laughs> uh well, when, a, it, when it came out theater, you know I, yeah one of the nice things about the quarantine is that they're really they're showing all these older movies yeah in theaters for people because they can't have a big full theater so yeah grab people that would go and watch them. they're showing psycho at the theater here close by and then there was what's the other film they're showing uh but they're showing and i'm thinking about going to go see psycho yeah 
just to see it blown up, you know? Yeah. That's we, uh, there's been a couple theaters, you know, in the past several years, even before the pandemic, uh, theaters has started re-showing some older movies. You know, I went and saw, I've seen Treasure of the Sierra Madre and Maltese Falcon at the theater, you know, with good prints. And Isn't it great? Yeah. It's been blown up and all that. And then we went and saw a few years ago, uh, one of the Dracula movies, one of the Hammer with Christopher Lee. I don't remember which one they were showing it at the theater. We went and saw it. But uh, yeah, so I watched Nightmare Before Christmas. And then a new one that I, I've started watching. It's a, you can't go wrong with it. It's a zombie musical Christmas movie. Uh, Anna and the Apocalypse. I don't know of that one, but yeah, <laughs> that seems like fun. It, Anna, it, and it, Anna and the Apocalypse. You know, it it's it 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 starts out. You know, you think it's a going to be a funny little musical horror comedy, and it keeps the musical part. The comedy disappears pretty quick. <laughs> And it takes a turn. <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, I like the idea of that. Usually they they start out with a little horror and then they go into comedy. But yeah. It's, and there's, you know, there's there's still some comic bits throughout. But it, yeah, it turns into a. I don't think you can have horror without comedy. Because, no. uh, you know, I, it's a cliche to liken it to a uh, roller coaster ride. But, you know, you the anticipation going up to the top the top and it gets more and more and then finally oh you start to go and you're screaming ah! and, then all, and you're around and then you're back up again i really like that idea and that comedy and we we're laughing at ourselves for yeah for screaming, yeah you know? so i think comedy is very effective and um uh, and needed to help build up to the next yeah scary moment and all that i think that's what we were talking earlier about Buffy and Angel. The comedy in it helped. Uh, and that's one of the reasons I, I stopped watching The Walking Dead. I watched the first two or three seasons and mm. it needed it needed some comedy and some lightness every once in a while. It just it got too bleak for me. Which I like bleakness, but there has to be a little a little humor in there somewhere a little hope or something and that didn't seem to have it which you know in that situation there probably isn't any right right <laughs> and uh you know i'm whatever they those guys did they did real well and they went yeah. on but i'm I, i'm with you i i watched I think about three seasons yeah and then i began to drift yeah and now of course they're going to have some shows if they spend a lot of money on zombies here they're going to have to have a show where they only have a few zombies there you know later yeah. just in the walking of the woods and you can create suspense but you got to save money here and there to, 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 to fit your budget, which by the way, 
the executive producer on the show in the beginning, working with Jeremont, was a friend of mine. Um, his uh, Greg Nicotero of KMB Effects. The KMB Effects, which stands for uh, Kersman Nicotero, and I forget the B. Um, was three guys, and they were did the effects for Sam Raimi's early Evil Dead movies and stuff. Okay, yeah, and for nothing, they you know they're doing things for nothing, and uh, they did the effects for Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs for nothing. But Tarantino was promised them a script, which he wrote Dawn to Dusk for them to produce and all these things. Yeah. So Greg was brought in by Frank Darabont to Walking Dead for the reasons we're talking about, money. And, and, and The Walking Dead was to help the other producers in the room know that if you're, okay, if you're gonna go this way with this writing, then, you know, it's too much. And we've already spent this much money on, you know, the first two episodes were just chock full of, yeah. Uh, creature of uh, undead. So that's how Greg got into the uh, producing. And that was Frank Darabont that did that. And he was smart to do it. It was supposed to be done. But then Greg, and they fired fired uh, Frank, he was probably in a bad situation. Like, I still got to do this show because it's making me money and yeah. work and all that. And I'm sure Frank understood but Greg went on to direct five or six episodes of a show that was on Machinima, which is a gamer network on YouTube at the time. That was where things were with the internet. And streaming wasn't a thing. Uh, and that led to him directing shows they got a chance to direct shows for The Walking Dead. And then he got, they were so impressed. And then, of course, if you got a makeup guy doing the direction, he's going to know how to do the yeah. makeup for it and how to do it, you know, and maybe even pull favors to get it done really cheap and effective. Well, that led to him doing more shows, directing, and even opening shows of a season or closing shows. And he got, you know, he's really good at it. And I'm so happy and proud for him. And he, um, uh, Greg is now producing the Creep Show series and been directing and, and all that. He's, you know, doing that thing with Stephen King. So uh, I'm hoping to submit one of my stories from the Lugosi book, sending it over to Greg and then write the beginnings of the script. Yeah. Say, hey, why don't you do this? You know, it's right up your alley for Creepshow. It is a comic book, you know. Cool. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that, uh, where we finally talk about horror movies. Uh, I hope it'll 
inspire you to go watch some old horror movies. Uh, but I think that's about it. I think that's I think I'm through with uh, the Sam Park uh, podcast until we uh, chat again sometime, which I'm sure we will. Uh, there was lots of stuff that we didn't touch on, so even in that four hours, so. So if if you like the podcast, uh, share it with your friends. Uh, let them know where we're at on Podbean, Spotify, wherever else. I don't know. Uh, join our Facebook group. Uh, so until next time, talk to you later. Bye.